Hi, my name is Mark Reese, Senior Marketing Manager with GTAC, a global leader in rugged mobile computing solutions. You can visit us on the web at gtech.com. I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Dorian Hauser, Director of Biological Research at the National Marine Mammal Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit organization recognized globally as a leader in marine mammal science, medicine, and conservation. Dorian holds a PhD in biology from the University of California, Santa Cruz, and has studied physiology and bioacoustics marine mammals for over 25 years, including various aspects of diving, fasting, metabolic physiology, behavioral and psychological responses to anthropogenic sound, marine mammal hearing, and dolphin echolocation. He has worked with the Navy's marine mammal population since 1995 and joined the National Marine Mammal Foundation in 2010. He's a recipient of the R. Bruce Lindsay Award from the Acoustical Society of America. He's a fellow of ASA. He's also a chair of ANSI and ASA Standards Subcommittee on Animal Bioacoustics and an adjunct professor at Sonoma State University. During our interview, we discussed how he and the work that the National Marine Mammal Foundation is doing to enrich the lives of marine mammals throughout the world's oceans and how GTAC is assisting them with their mission on a daily basis. This is going to be a great interview. You're not going to want to miss. Dorian, thank you so much for your time today and welcome. Mark, thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Before we kind of get into this interview, I'm really interested in discovering somebody's why. You know, why do they do what they do? I'm very interested to hear what yours is. Oh, sure. Uh, why? Why do I do what I do? Um, well, I mean, it's a bit of just innateness. Um, I was a, a pre-med student in, in college, but had a great professor that showed me there are other things to do besides going to medical school if you're interested in how things work in a biological organism. Um, and she got me directed into thinking about the ocean, and uh, I encountered these, these animals that were mammals like us, uh, but they made their living in the sea. And I was really intrigued about the adaptations that they had that allowed them to do that. Um, so that led me to graduate school and from graduate school to uh, working with those animals and eventually ending up at the National Marine Mammal Foundation, um, still having that passion, but really then focusing on how it is animals use sound underwater uh, to make a living, because that is um, really what most of the marine mammals rely on. They rely on their hearing and sound more than they do vision uh, to make a living in the ocean. So I got really interested in that. And the longer that I've been with the foundation, we've been progressively getting involved in more conservation work and the realization of the impact that humans have had on marine mammals, uh, even in recent years with some species going extinct um, because of human activity has uh, really kind of inspired uh, me and my organization to be more involved in the studying that problem and trying to come up with solutions for it. I know a little bit about what you do in terms of mammals. Can you talk a little bit about the mammals that you work with or what's your area of focus? Well, I'm actually pretty diverse. Um, you know, I do a lot of work, uh, historically anyway, with um, seals uh, because I was interested in the fact that these animals uh, could come to land and uh, go without food or water for extended periods of time. For example, my, my favorite seal is the elephant seal. So they can be on land for months at a time without eating or drinking water. And I was just fascinated with how they could do that. So that was my entrance into seals. Um, then later I started uh, working with dolphins and underwater sound. So I have worked with uh, bottlenose dolphins extensively, um, but out in wild, you get an opportunity to work with a diverse number of species. So um, 
including the animals I've worked with uh, in the wild, in their own environment, and those that have stranded that we have worked with to try and rehabilitate. I've worked with a multitude of species of whales uh, and of seals, fur seals and sea lions. You know, it's interesting. We just got back from Hawaii and we were on a scuba trip. I was snorkeling and all of a sudden the they stopped the boat and we were fortunate enough to see the humpback whale. And I thought it was late in the season. They said, you probably won't see any. And ironically, she was teaching her cub how to surface and being able to be in the water while they're in the water, kind of doing their own business and teaching it. It was, it, it took it to a whole new level. It was like, I was like, wow. Like, you know what I mean? It is, it's, it's wow. So very envious of your job. It's very, very, very cool. Um, your organization's mission is to improve and protect the life for marine mammals, humans, and our shared ocean through science, service, and education. So let's start with a benchmark of where we are now in terms of improving and protecting the lives of marine mammals. And how has your organization been instrumental on a local and global level? Um, also, how far have we come and how far do we need to go uh, to kind of achieve your goal? Well, I'll probably start with the last part first and say that we're still probably very much in the beginnings and we have a long way to go. Um, you know, our, our globe is changing uh, and humans are a big part of the changes that are occurring. And it's happening rapidly. So it's been difficult to try and both understand the processes in the ocean, um, which not only the marine mammals rely upon, but we rely upon um, for, for many things, food, the production of oxygen through the, the, the ocean plants that exist uh, and the like. Um, so we're still very much, I think, in our infancy of understanding many of these things, and it's almost like chasing a moving target uh, because uh, things are changing rapidly all the time. But where have we tried to act? Um, you know, I think when you ask, say, locally and globally, um, locally, we work with animals uh, at the locations we're at, uh, marine mammals. Um, they partner with us in research studies, and we then take that research and the results from it and try to apply it to animals in the wild for conservation purposes. Um, a great example of this is uh, within the last several years, we have uh, been one of the lead organizations in trying to halt the progression towards extinction of a small species of porpoise that lives in the Gulf of California uh, called the vaquita. Uh, critically endangered. At this point, there's probably less than 10 of them left. Uh, it was great to see these organizations come together, combine their research and skills to try and, and um, halt the loss of, of the Kita life. Uh, but it was probably a lesson learned in that it was years too late in the starting. Um, we, however, have taken this mindset of looking at human impacts and how they're affecting marine mammals and trying to take it to a global scale. Uh, I'm very proud of the organization's efforts now to reach out globally uh, and particularly address uh, marine mammal species that are critically endangered, including a number of species of river dolphins um, that exist. So they, they have gone a long way in that regard in our focus and our expansion to understanding the human impacts as well. Um, we have part of our conservation medicine group um, is, is involved with studying the population of dolphins in the Gulf of Mexico following the Deepwater Horizon. Uh, and up to that point, no one really knew when there's a massive oil spill like that, how, how does it affect those long-lived animals like dolphins that utilize that area? And through those years of work, they've been able to characterize exactly what those impacts are, how much those populations have been impacted, and even come up with estimates for how long they think it will take those populations to recover. Um, so all of these things go hand in hand in, in trying to address the big issue of, 
of conserving uh, marine mammals and conserving our oceans for them, but also for us. How do it, when, in, when we talk about an oil spill or something like that? How are how do these mammals adapt to a man-made accident or an accident in the water? How how are, do they move or do they kind of just stay where they're used to going? How do they adapt? Well, it probably depends very much on the kind of accident that it is. Uh, the Deepwater Horizon oil spill was was just massive. I mean, it was a, a lot of oil, uh, and you know you have animals that uh, they, they may transit areas, uh, but they also may utilize certain areas uh, for foraging or breeding and the like. Uh, in the case of the dolphin populations, it was demonstrated that those animals were uh, impacted by the exposure to the oil, um, probably largely due to you know, breathing in the vapors and fumes as they came to the surface to breathe. Um, but uh, definitely having an impact on natality that is uh, the production of offspring in the years to come too. Um, so it's, uh, it probably largely depends on on the type of accident or the type of incident that occurs. I, probably the biggest thing I think that affects marine mammals, in my opinion, um, is fisheries interactions. Um, you know, there are hundreds of thousands of marine mammals that are taken each year uh, in fisheries interactions. That's they're caught in nets uh, or they get entangled in fishing lines uh, and the like, and they can't um, release themselves from it, and that eventually causes them to have injury that that can lead to mortality. Um, so those those types of things can be very difficult for the animals to adapt to. Bigger issues like uh, climate change, um, animals may relocate um, as prey moves around to different areas. So again, it, it, you really have to look at the particular impact that you're having and the species that are impacted by it to, to kind of come to an answer for that question. And, and when you're working with the animals, do you find that they are a friend, you know, like I, 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 I think wild animals, I think very hard to interact. Do you find it that they're very open and can sense that you're trying to help them? Um, no, I think most wild animals, probably nearly all of them are, if you're going to get close and handle them, will will have some sort of stress response because it's fairly unnatural for them. You may have exceptions for uh, animals that live in close proximity to lots of human activity. Um, or may have been uh, become acclimated to humans uh, trying to feed them. Obviously, there are reports of dolphins that have learned to uh, feed off the fish that uh, recreational fishermen uh, throw them, um, sea lions and the like that follow fishing boats. So they can acclimate to human activity, but again, that's largely going to depend upon the particular species and, and what kind of overlap they have with humans. Right on. I always see these videos where you'll see like a seal jumping on a boat or you know what I mean? Like they're, it seems like they're just as curious about us as we are about them, but you just sit there and watch them in, in awe. What kind of curiosity, what kind of um, strides has you and your team made in terms of uh, the continued care of marine mammals? Is there like some type of innovative research or action that you're most proud of that you can say, you know what, that we, we had this effect on this? Yeah, I, you know, we, we have had these long-term relationships partnering with um, uh, marine mammals under human care, particularly dolphins and sea lions. Um, and we have a team of veterinarians uh, that have been really pushing the envelope on marine mammal health uh, and, and treating uh, marine mammal disease. Um, there are instances where we've been able to take that research and directly apply it to the wild. Uh, and a great example of that is uh, um, our, our own executive officer who is a veterinarian, um, is also a specialist in ultrasound, developed various techniques that were then used following the Deepwater Horizon to uh, look at the kind of impact that it had on those animals through those ultrasound investigations. 
that's not something that could have been worked out with just wild animals. That was something that had to have been done over many years um, working with animals cooperatively. According to your website, you focus on four main areas, and we kind of covered a little bit about them. conservation, medicine, environmental stewardship, and biological and bioacoustic research, along with mammal care. Can you just talk a little bit about each of those areas and how they're different? Yeah, the conservation medicine really is uh, sort of translating that what we've learned about the veterinary care of marine mammals into the wild, um, but coupling that also with investigations of the impact of human activity on marine mammals. And again, that Deepwater Horizon example is a great example of that, um, combining those things together. So it's really uh, kind of a coupling of what we learn to understanding the impact and then using that information to kind of come up with a way to either mitigate that type of impact from happening again or development of recovery plans. So conservation medicine is really kind of key in that regard and focusing on the conservation of, um, of, of marine mammal uh, species and populations by applying what we know about medicine. Environmental stewardship is a, a group that focuses on keeping up with all of the science that's coming out, interpreting it, and trying to synthesize it to better help uh, people and institutions understand the kind of impact we're having on the environment and how to avoid it. Um, the group that I work with has worked closely with the Navy for many years, uh, trying to understand how Navy sound sources in the ocean might affect marine mammals and other marine life, um, and then bringing that best available science to them so they can better assess it and come up with plans to mitigate whatever kind of impact they might have. Uh, the biological and bioacoustic research group it really focuses on just the basic biology of marine mammals um, and, and a focus on bioacoustics, how they utilize sound, how they hear underwater. Uh, and that's largely because we believe that the foundation of being able to help all the animals is just understanding who these animals are, how they make a living, what are their limitations, what are their capabilities, how might they be most impacted, um, those are all the questions that uh, the basic biological research kind of address. Uh, and then finally uh, is our animal care, which we talked about. We partnered for years with animals um, under human care, taking care of them, advancing that marine mammal veterinary care and medicine. Um, that then allows us to apply it to not only animals in the wild, but the welfare of, of marine mammals that are under human care, uh, making sure that they have the best possible life. We, out of all the mammals that you dealt that you deal with on a regular basis, which one would you say is the one that closely aligns more with humans? I heard it was a dolphin, but I'm not sure. Dolphins certainly partner. Bottlenose dolphins uh, certainly partner well um, with humans. Um, if you look at the history of humans trying to bring various dolphin species into marine parks, there are lots of different species out there. There's lots of different species that were tried, but it was the bottlenose dolphin, you know, flipper. Um, yeah. it sort of won out because they were very robust animals and they did well under human care and in human partnership. Uh, so I would say that, but you know, I, I, I like what I call the numbskull animals. My favorite marine mammal is still the northern elephant seal. It's big, it's dumb, it's slow, but it is built to survive. That's awesome. Um, you know, as, as Earth Day is coming up and as Earth Day is approaching, and I know that every a lot of people are more aware of what they do and how it affects the environment when we talk about climate change and so forth. So what can we do individually or as, as corporations, in your opinion, what can we do to kind of help you make sure that we're maintaining these ecosystems and not ruining and destroying them? Do you have any pieces of advice for us? Uh, yeah, well, first, 
thank you because uh, you're doing it right now, which is awareness. Um, although there are things that many people are aware of, there's a lot of things they aren't. I'm always surprised um, when I talk to people uh, sort of how, um, how much they lack knowledge on you know, the particular species I work with, which are you know, long-lived mammalian species in the ocean. Uh, and how they're being impacted. So just this, getting the word out, making people aware, I, I think is a critical step. But then encouraging people to do something. Um, I am a, a big fan of act locally and you'll have a global impact. So where you are at, if there's something you can do physically, you know, I live in San Diego, um, beach cleanup is great. Uh, let's get the trash off the beach as much as we can. Let's do what we can to minimize the pollution going into the ocean. If you can't do that, and then you can assist financially do that as well. Um, there are reputable organizations out there trying to do legitimate good work um, to, to try and uh, protect uh, our world's oceans um, for all of us. So I learned about your organization when I was, I was having a meeting with our global marketing team. And uh, typically marine mammals and marine biology is not a... Uh, is not a, a a vertical that we focus on. It's not you know we our, our specialties lie in public sector and you know federal the, the military um, uh, enterprise which is like field service and technicians and manufacturing um, and the utility space. But what I found very interesting is that a, this this your, your your organization is utilizing G Tech rugged devices, and I was really fascinated about that. And I'm really interested to learn, you know, how you you know came about deciding on, you know, we're going to use a G Tech device. And can you also talk about the devices that you use and kind of how you utilize those in a uh, in a daily basis? Yeah, absolutely. Um, G Tech has really been a critical part of our our work on marine mammal hearing. Um, I've already stated earlier in the interview how important sound is underwater to marine mammals, and they are adapted to hearing sound underwater. So when we're trying to understand how ocean noise impacts marine mammals, that fundamental piece of information we need to know is what they are able to hear. So historically, to try and know what a marine mammal would hear, you'd have to have it under human care, and you'd have to train it to respond to a sound when you played it to it, and it would have to either touch a paddle or make a sound to tell you that it heard the sound, or remain quiet if it didn't. It's basically like how we do hearing tests with humans, um, where you would punch the button. But that only works for animals that are under care. So based upon work that our president started uh, decades ago, we started looking into uh, taking uh, what we call auditory evoked potentials, um, which are measuring the voltages the brain produces when it hears a sound to measure hearing capabilities of marine mammals. Now, this, this same capability is used on infants, it's used in hospitals, but to use it in marine mammals, you really needed to miniaturize, portableize systems because you needed to be able to go where the marine mammals were, in our case, often responding to stranded marine mammals, or, or maybe if they were doing health assessments with animals and they were temporarily capturing them, you had to be there to do the hearing test. So that's where GTAC came in because uh, we needed to be able to take something that was rugged, that could be picked up and moved around, but it also had an expansion chassis to it that we could put a PCI or PCIe data acquisition card into it um, to facilitate a, a, a program and system that my colleague, Dr. Jim Finneran, had developed, which is basically a small EEG machine that we can run around the globe with um, and use it to play sounds to marine mammals and record the brain waves as they hear them. Um, this system now, by the way, is... is uh, been adopted and is regularly used within the National Marine Fisheries Service 
that whenever they have a stranded uh, dolphin uh, or porpoise or something like that, before they can release it back to the wild, part of the rehabilitation assessment is we do a hearing test on these animals to make sure they hear well enough to go back. And it's GTAC instrumentation that we use. And it's been going on for some time. We started with the A790. We are using the X500 now, but um, so um, we've been we've been more or less partnering with GTEC, I think, for for well over a decade. Oh, that, that's fantastic. Do you find though, um, in in terms of your work, um, you're using these in a in a clean stationary environment, or do sometimes these get used, you know, near the ocean, near the water, near the, on the beach, or is it more indoor use? Uh, you pick the environment uh, and and how bad it can be. That's we've pretty much been there. Um, sandy beaches with wind blowing on us, uh, working in the rain, um, always by salt water, uh, daily by the ocean. Um, so it's uh, it's proven its worth uh, over the years. How do you how do you measure the hearing of a mammal? You know, like if we were doing a hearing test, I would raise my hand when I heard the beep and so forth. But how do you do that when you're testing the uh, the hearing of a mammal, a seal or a dolphin or another uh, species? Yeah, so if we're going to use the system that we use with GTAC, that's again measuring the voltage off the brain. So we can stick sensors on the skin uh, of the animals uh, and we'll play them a sound at a certain level, a certain frequency. Uh, and if they hear it, their brain, particularly their brain stem, produces an electrical signal. Uh, and we can record that, but the brain's pretty noisy. So we have to do this uh, thousands of times over very short bursts, you know, tens of milliseconds long. Um, and we can average out that signal. We know when we produce a sound, we know when the brain wave should occur. Uh, so if you know anything about signal processing, uh, noise is random. If we average it, it disappears. But that signal that it will always be there comes out of the noise. Uh, and we can look at that signal and then turn the level of sound down until that signal disappears. And at the point where it disappears, that tells us the lowest level of sound the animal can hear at that frequency. Oh, that's fantastic. I, I'm really like, I'm proud that our organization can partner with you to do that. That's fantastic work. That's fascinating. I could probably go on for an hour. Can those listening today support the work that you and your team are doing? And you want to, you know, give your website and kind of what we can do to best help you help the mammals and the environment. Yeah, I think the uh, first step, just becoming informed. And uh, our organization is National Marine Mammal Foundation. And if you type that into a web browser, the website will come up immediately. That website is nmmf.org. So it's the initials of the organization. Go there, become educated. Um, hopefully you're inspired to take action. And if that action is doing something locally, that's fantastic. Uh, and if you are willing or desire to support financially uh, the work that we do, both within the United States and abroad, there'll be opportunities there for you to donate and support as well. There's also, I want to mention when I was on your website looking around, there's also a lot of resources for children uh, to really educate children in a fun uh, a manner. Very, I, th I think I saw coloring pages and all, mm -hmm. all types of things that the children can do. So I think it's a great website for schools and, you know, children interested in marine biology and the oceans and just kind of understanding, you know, the bigger picture of the globe. Um, Dorian, thank you again for everything that you and your organization do. It's great to be partnered with such an organization that is having an impact, not only on a local level, but on a global level with these amazing, magnificent creatures that you're helping and continue to uh, survive and thrive uh, 
in our environment. Dorian Hauser, Director of Biological Research at the National Marine Mammal Foundation, it's been such a pleasure. And I will put up your contact information uh, in a link, a link below and in the end of the video. So thank you so much, sir. Thank you, Mark. Thank you.